0: I'm Dan Salofra, pastor at Crosswalk Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'd like to welcome you to our message for today. We are in a message series called Journey, and specifically today, uh, we are going to see the amazing track record of God. And as we're thinking about that today, it makes me think back to last weekend, and I got to spend some time with family. And we were there for my dad's 90th birthday and my parents' 65th wedding anniversary, which was reason to give thanks and praise for sure. And one of the things we did is we had a picnic. And at our picnic, everyone had a name tag because uh, there were over 150 people there. And uh, my dad, whose birthday it was, you wouldn't think he would need a name tag, but my niece, his granddaughter, made a name tag for him. And it said, the old goat. And what's so funny about that is, is like 20 years ago, she heard my, grand, my mom, her grandma, call my dad, the, oh, be quiet, you old goat. And when she heard that, she thought it was so funny that, that she's called him the old goat ever since. And so as he had his name tag, the old goat, at the party, one of my nephews came up to him and said, Grandpa, you are the goat, the greatest of all time. And so he had fun with that, going back to that granddaughter and saying, thank you, you've been calling me the greatest of all time this, this whole time. And think about that for a moment. It seems like lately, especially that word goat, the greatest of all time, is something that we talk about. And we might talk about it as a football player. Who is the greatest football player of all time? Is it Tom Brady, who's had the most Super Bowl uh, rings of anyone or who would it be in baseball? Do you go by number of home runs or do you go by the number of World Series championships? Or what does it look like in basketball or golf or any sport? And I think at some point when you are determining the greatest of all time, you are going to go back to stats. You are going to go back to evidence of of saying, this is how I would defend the truth that this player is the greatest of all time. Or even if I looked at my dad and I thought, I think he's the greatest of all time, I would still have uh, reasons why I believe that. And in the lesson we we are going in today, the Apostle Paul, as he's on his journey, uh, going to different places to share the gospel, he's giving God's track record. And, And in that track record, Uh, It's him showing, this is why I think God is the greatest of all time. And in answering that question, he really answers another question. And that question is, why do I believe in God? Or, Or why do I believe Jesus is the Savior that came from God? And I hope as you hear this message today, that you can answer that question for yourself. Maybe you're someone listening who says, I don't know if I believe in God, or, or I'm, I'm not sure I could say that confidently. And hopefully as we look at this, you can see Paul's answer and also have one of your own. We're in Acts chapter 13, and the first verses we're going to look at have to do with the journey that, that Paul is on. And it says, from Paphos, which is in Cyprus, so now he's in the Mediterranean and he's going to be sailing, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. And that, that part of the journey, they sailed for about 120 miles. So when you think about that, that wasn't really just a little boat ride. That, that would have taken a, mu- a number of days on the Mediterranean Sea. I, and that's where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And from Perga, they went to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. So first of all, they go the 120 miles or so by water. And then when they went from the coast up to Pisidian Antioch, that would have been like going from basically from Phoenix to Payson. Uh, that, that it would have been going up in elevation quite a bit, and they would have gone someplace that was quite a bit cooler, uh, places that in the, the winter would get snow. And Pisidian Antioch, just one other thing about it is it's a place where Roman soldiers were given retirement land once they left the army. And so the reason why they did that is they did it so there would be a standing army if there was ever an invasion that those retired Uh, Roman soldiers would be there and and be able to still be like an army reserve for the Roman Empire. So that's where Paul is at on his journey and he goes, as we're told, to the synagogue and on the synagogue this is what he says. We, We go to verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power and he led them out of that country. And then a little bit later he says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And so that's a quote really of God. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the savior Jesus as he promised. And so in these words, and and there was more in there where where David, or excuse me, where Paul is talking about God's activity throughout history and specifically throughout the Old Testament. And what he's showing here is that all the action verbs about God, God chose, God delivered, God led, and, and it is simply showing God's activity, that God is the actor in history and God is the hero throughout time. This makes me think of a, of a sermon I happened to listen to last week. It was at our seminary graduation uh, for, for our Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. And in it, the, the, the president of the seminary was talking about Bible stories that he looks at differently uh, now than he did when he was young. And he referenced one from First Kings 18, which is the story of Elijah and defeating the prophets of Baal and building two altars and fire coming down from heaven and, and consuming uh, the altar and showing that God was the true God. And he said he used to look at that story and think, man, Elijah is so awesome and such a great person of faith. But then shortly after that Elijah goes and he hides from God and he's afraid that the, the king is going to kill him and he's in a cave hiding, praying to die. And he looks at Elijah there and he goes, man, I'm, I'm really disappointed in Elijah that, uh, that he would do that. And, and he brought in application. That's the way our lives can be is that we have these high points which are great, but they don't seem to last very long. And then the low points seem to carry on forever and go on and on and on. And so as he was talking about Elijah, just he's saying, you know what, that can be a lot like our lives as well. That we have good times and we have bad times, but the bad times seem so much worse. And then as he was wrapping up his message, one of the things he said that was so profound was this, is he said, when you begin to see that the story of Elijah is not about Elijah, you begin to understand. Elijah is a story about God and God's power, both in those mighty moments of victory, but also God's power in our time of doubt when he comes to us and reassures us of his promises. And he said, the sooner that you begin to understand that your ministry is not about you, but it's about God, and his actions, and that your lives are not about you but about his actions, the more you will begin to see the goodness of God in good times and in bad. (laughs) I was thinking, why didn't I hear that when I graduated from the seminary? That it took me 29 years of ministry to, to learn that it's not all about me. And so as we go through this why I believe in God, Start to see that the story of your life is not about you. Even even as the the accounts of the Bible are not about them, it's about him, and your life also is about him working in you. He goes on, he says, Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who have traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. The the people that Paul was talking to did not see God acting in the past. And if you don't see God acting in the past, chances are you're going to have difficulty seeing him act in your presence. And I have to believe that, that many of you are, are going through that at the moment. And the reason why I say that is, again, this is, I, I'm doing this message now in June of 2022, and we're in the light of a number of shootings again, and, and one of them at a grade school. And I had a woman literally call me this morning, and, and she's the sweetest woman in the world, someone who believes in God, and just says, said to me, Pastor, what is God doing? How does he allow this to happen? What, where, where is he? And it was shaking in, in the present whether God is the greatest of all time and, and whether God is acting and whether his promises are being kept. And that's the nature of it, that in the moment, it, it's usually uh, in hindsight where we're able to see how God works. It, it's like judging the, the, whether someone's the greatest of all time in the middle of the game. It's it's at the end of the game and how the game finishes where you see victory. And so we're reminded that the same was true at the time of Jesus. The the disciples didn't understand. They they didn't think God was winning when Jesus was arrested. When when Jesus was before the the Sanhedrin and, and when he was before Pilate, they thought that he was losing They were thinking they had to fight for this world. And even as we look at Jesus on the cross and the death of God's own son. So when you're thinking about the the death of an innocent, God knows that pain. God knows that pain of the, the loss of his son. And yet it was in that time that we see God's greatest victory. And so if you are in that time now, grieve and mourn because it hurts and it is heavy. And, and I don't think we want to act like it's not. And at the same time to realize that in the moment is usually the hardest time to see the greatness of what is going on. He goes on to say, we can tell the, you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And and so what he's showing is he's talking about God being the greatest of all time and he's comparing it to your life tr- being about you and you being the hero and you being the actor of your life and you being the one that makes things happen. That, that he says if you try doing that under the law of God to try to be good enough for God to, to love and care about you, you are, you're not the greatest of all time. You are a sinner and you need to be rescued. You need to be forgiven by God. You need that taken away. You need, as this word says, a justification, a way to be justified that's not from yourself. This makes me think of a of a time where, to my shame, it really was, I, I went through a red light uh, in my car, and of course, it wasn't a police officer that pulled me over, they had video of it uh, from a camera, and it's me not only going through a red light, but going through a red light on my cell phone, uh, and it was, There was nothing I could say. I was guilty, period. I was guilty. But one of the things that they offered me was to go to eight hours of in-person traffic school. And that's not something I wanted to do, but I did anyways. And one of the things, though, is after you go through that eight hours of traffic school, that ticket wasn't put on my record. That, that it was it was taken off. And so from the standpoint of my insurance company and the, the state of Arizona, it, it's like it never happened. That's what we have through Jesus, except it's not us who goes through the traffic school, it's me going through the red light, but it's Jesus going through traffic school. It, it's Jesus living the perfect life for me in my place as my substitute. And so when you think of the greatest of all time, it's because he is the one who came for me in my place. He is the one who came to do for me what I could not do. And that's what we celebrate. And we see that both with Jesus' death, where we see his payment for sin, that we see his great love for us, and we see it in the resurrection where we see his great power, his great power over death a victory for me, a victory for you, that even in death, even in the, the, what seems like the biggest loss of all time, Jesus had the comeback for the greatest victory of all time. His final words uh, that, that Paul shares with this group of people that were listening in the synagogue is this. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. So what he's telling them is be careful because God is saying there's going to be some of those who who aren't going to listen to this, who are going to argue Jesus isn't the greatest of all time, that God's plan wasn't the greatest of all time. And he warns them, you do not want to be in that category. And then a little bit later, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue, I love these words, to continue in the grace of God. They heard something that day that they had never heard before. That was the grace of God, the goodness of God, that I'm not the greatest of all time, that God is the greatest of all time, that I'm not the hero of my life, but God is the hero of my life, and that is grace because it's something that's given to me. It's not an encouragement to try harder, but rather a reminder that God has already done all of it. What does God's track record prove? To Paul, it was was a no-brainer, that it was very true that God is the greatest of all time. And the second part of this is, why do I believe in God? pursue that? I'm not sure if you will have an answer today. We have Paul's because God's track record proves it. He shows himself to be worthy of trust. And there are places we can go and, and places we've created at Crosswalk to answer this question. One of them is Christian Essentials 4. And what that is, is it's it shows the intersection of God's life and your life and, and his word. And, and what can happen is by taking a moment to stop and and look back in your life, you can realize the truth that God has been there all along, that he's brought you to where you are today. And you can celebrate by the victories God has won for you as you recount them, that he's worthy of trust. And also as you look forward at the promises of God for what is coming, that you lay hold of them. This is one for me, as I look at it, that, that why do I believe in God? My, my answer probably would be, no, it's not probably, it is. Because I know what he says about me and my sin is accurate. About me not deserving heaven, I know is true all too well. I have nowhere else to go except the grace of God. Jesus being the hero. God's track record being one that I can lay hold of. And that's my prayer for you as well. It's one that leads me to repentance and turning to God for forgiveness. And it's a victory that I enjoy every single day of my life. God's goodness in spite of my failures. I hope you know the love of God and and the peace of God that comes in Jesus Christ because these promises This track record, God gives to you as well. And it is my prayer that you embrace them. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the track record that you have given in the Bible because we know that all the accounts that are there, I don't care if they're uh, Abraham or Moses or David or whoever it is, all of those accounts have one thing in common. They're stories of your victories. They're stories of your greatness and they're written for the express purpose that we will see how trustworthy you are and we will believe in them. And also, Lord, as as we see the account of Jesus' life and his perfection that he lived and his life that he gave and his resurrection and the victory that he's won, help us see that that victory is ours as well. And now we can stand with you victorious, living our, our lives not as victims, but as victors with Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are the greatest of all time and you have called us your children. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now receive with believing hearts the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.